0: And right in tune, not just to the fact that the sermon is coming, but because of the theme of the series we're beginning this week that will carry us through uh, all of October and September. It's actually a reboot of a series we did way back in 2012, which for us means only the founding members of the church probably heard it. Uh, And uh, it's a very timely sermon series for us to take on again. We're going to beef it up a little. Um, last time uh, I was the only one preaching, this time we have a uh, few others that are going to step in as is our pattern and habit here. Uh, the, ser- the series we're calling Eat This Book, it's about the Bible and we're in a day and age when there is hardly a week that goes by that some new issue doesn't come up that as Christians we have to wrestle with and say, all right, what do we think about this? What are we going to tell people around us about what we think about this? Where should we stand? And we're in that time where as a church is just, not this church, but just the church of Christ at large. There's always so many issues, and it's so tempting to kind of just find a reasonable path in culture. But the thing that we always have to remember is that Christians are people of the book. That we're people of Scripture. And so... Um, You know, there there are people that look at the journey and feel like some of our stands on things like social justice are rather progressive. And they they would think that we're kind of, um, you know, maybe we're selling into culture. And I want to tell you, there isn't a stand that we take here at the church that isn't firmly rooted in what we believe God's word teaches us to do. And that's the posture we need to take. And, you know, in the years to come, we're going to have lots of important conversations as a church about a lot of issues. And so this series is a way of reminding us where all of us are meant to begin that conversation. Everything is grounded in it. So I'm very excited about doing this series with you. The idea, the allegory, the metaphor of Eat This Book actually comes from Scripture. I'm going to show you that today. But it also is the name, the title of Eugene Peterson's book about Scripture called Eat This Book. Toward the end of his life, he wrote four volumes on the subject of spiritual theology. Traditionally, the church has treated those two disciplines as distinct, spirituality and theology. Peterson accurately argues that they are one in the same, and he brings this deep, profound, fresh look at how we approach Scripture and theology and life. Um, I think all of you should own those books. But by all means, think about buying his book, Eat This Book, for this series. We're not going to preach through the book, but you will notice that I was profoundly impacted by the reading of it um, uh, way back at the start of the journey. And so you will recognize, especially today, um, a lot of his uh, ideas behind it. So my job today is to excite us about this series, to make sure that you buy in and show up for the next seven weeks, and to also lay out the interpretive key to the whole series around this image and idea of eat this book. And so in order to do that, I'm going to introduce one word to you today, and then we're going to look at this metaphor. The word is haga. Say it just like that. Ha-ga. Little more force. Ha-ga. haga. That's right. We find this word throughout Scripture, but we're going to look at it in the first Psalm, Psalm one. It's page three hundred and eighty-three in the Pew Bible. And since we are doing a sermon about the Bible, how about all of you this week actually turn to it? What do you think of that? Grab a a pew Bible and open it up. And we're going to look at this first psalm together. Page page 383. Um, The psalmist sets the stage for the entire songbook of the children of Israel. The whole book of psalms is set up by the first psalm. But also, the psalmist describes this amazing life. I mean, it's so attractive. In verse 3, which is where we'll begin today, when he describes the life as that person being like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The psalmist begins the whole book of Psalms by capturing a picture of a person that is living a vibrant life full of fruit and vitality that is also deeply rooted in the person of God in their life in God it's an amazing thing I look at that and I say God let this be said of and true of me but we have to ask how what is it that produces this in the life of this person now we go back and begin reading at verse 1 Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. When the Old Testament refers to the law, they're actually referring to the whole of their scripture. That's what they're referring to. And so when we look at this incredibly vibrant life that is, has no dry spells, right? That's what they kind of describe, always bearing fruit, deeply rooted in a life in God. The thing that we understand that what produces it is that this person has a very profound relationship with the Bible. That word delight in Hebrew is the word for thrill to and to hunger for. But the word I really want to focus on is the word meditate, because that's the word hagah. Now, let me ask you: since this person who lives this life that we all would say we aspire to has this incredible relationship with the Bible, let me just start by asking you: what's your relationship with the Bible like? You don't have to answer it out loud. It's not a test. It's a moment for self-evaluation. Your starting point for this series. How would you describe your relationship with the Bible? Let me give you a clue. If you dust it off when you dust off your shelves, chances are you don't have much of a relationship with it. You know, maybe for some of us we, we see the Bible as something we cherish as sort of a prized possession, but we don't really do much with it until we show up on Sunday or or if we go to a small group. That's where we kind of crack open the Bible. Maybe others of us just you have a Bible because you feel like you ought to because you're a Christian. <laughs> and it represents a bit of a good luck charm for you. Or a talisman. You know what a talisman is? It's something we, we hold on to that is sort of a, a good luck charm or sort of a, a vision of, of the future that we hold on to. Maybe that's what the Bible is for you. You have it because it reminds you of your hope your faith, some, your some days. How many remember 20 years ago now when Tom Hanks did the movie Castaway? Anybody? Who was not alive then? Just curious. That's really depressing. Because um, I was already, you know, losing my knees by then. That's really sad. I need a moment. Excuse me. Tom Hanks is a FedEx uh, employee, a manager, and while he's on a plane in the South Pacific, the plane goes down, and he gets marooned on this remote island in the South Pacific that is not charted because there are those still today. And he's forced to survive without any modern help except for what washes up on the shore. So he does some creative things with those. Just the challenge of starting a fire is like a major theme of the movie and eventually through his own means ingenuity a raft and heading out he gets rescued but how many remember what kind of kept him going he had a a friend a volleyball named Wilson Wilson. that was his name tag you see when they met and of course Wilson didn't make it he gets lost in the Pacific my version of that was that he, he washed up on the shore of some island where children found joy in, a, in, in being able to play soccer with Wilson. That's, my, that's how I imagine Wilson ended. He had to be set free. So that's what happens with Wilson. But the talisman for Tom Hanks' character was a package that he never opened with an a- angel's wings on it. And it was like he was saying, I'm going to get home. And I'm going to deliver this. It was what brought him hope. And he did bring it with him. And as the movie ends, he's delivering this package. Now, several years later, during a Super Bowl, I'm guessing the Patriots won. Odds are. Think about this. The NFL is 100 years old this year. Tom Brady has played for a fifth of it. That's pretty amazing. Anyway, I'm not thinking about that at all. I'm just thinking about God's Word here. Where was I? Oh, yeah, He delivers it. So, so FedEx does this Super Bowl ad where they reimagine how that final scene might have gone. The, the resolution on this is horrible, but I think you'll enjoy the video. Hi. Hi. I was marooned on an island for five years with this package. And I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. That's very admirable. Thank you. Hey, but by the way, what's in the package? Huh, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. I love that. Changes the whole thing, doesn't it? Right. So what if for some of you, that's the Bible? You're glad you have one. But it's just that. It's just like a reminder of your hope and your faith. And if you just open it up, you'd find out it's a direct communication method with God. God. It's a GPS for your life. It's food for your soul. Imagine what God could do. God's done a lot through the journey and through many of you. Imagine what He could do if we became that, if the Bible became that central to all of us. Back to our word, meditate, Hagah. Isaiah uses that same word in Isaiah 31. Pretty colorful. This is what he says. Let's say this together. Like a young lion growls over its prey. And then he goes on and says something profound. But what I want you to picture is just that image. Because that word growls is the Hebrew word "haga." Now, we're dog people in my house. We have two little dogs. And we have a giant lab named Copernicus. Copper for short. And uh, in the early days and at our other house, we used to give him like raw bones from the butcher because our vet said those are the best kind to give him. And any of you who have had a dog with a bone know what I'm going to describe here. He had a very intense relationship with that bone, right? He would uh, like worry it and he would like carry it everywhere. It would nap with him and, you know... (laughs) well except where you it off he would carry it everywhere and, uh, and he'd greet people with it people would come to the door he'd go run and get his bone and he'd greet it with them he'd nibble on it and he'd work it and sometimes he'd gnaw get down into the marrow dog with a bone and if you listen carefully there were times where as he was delighting in his bone you would hear this deep throated growl of contentment that's what Isaiah is describing of this lion over his prey so excuse me if I think Psalm 1 and the word meditate feels a little anemic in terms of our relationship with the Bible like a dog over its bone like a lion over his prey You see, our relationship with the Bible is meant to work symbolically like the lion. When he worried his bone, he used his teeth and his tongue and his throat and his stomach and his intestine. You see, his relationship with that was not just intellectual, it was intestinal. And that's what God wants your relationship with Scripture to be about it's not just an academic experience, an intellectual experience. You're meant to take it in, digest it, wrestle with it, masticate it. That means chew, for those of you that don't know the big words. I had to look that up so I'd sound smart today, so there it goes. Digest it, take it in. And then if it, instead of it just being informational, when we do that process, it becomes transformational because it works its way into our whole being that's what Christians do and so Haggah is about reading Scripture voraciously so it reaches your soul and that's why I really appreciate Eugene Peterson's translation of Psalm 13 in his translation the message this is how he puts it let's say it you thrill to God's Word You chew on Scripture day and night. Big idea. Christians feed on Scripture. Now that same idea, that same metaphor, we also see at the very last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And so I want you to turn there with me as well. It's page 872 in the Bible in the Purach. The tenth chapter of the book of Revelation, the Apostle John is on the island of Patmos where he's been imprisoned during a period when Christians are being put to death and executed and imprisoned because they refuse to offer sacrifice to the emperor of Rome to the Caesar as Lord because only Jesus is their Lord. John finds himself in prison and it's there on a Sunday morning that he gets visited and called up into heaven and he has these series of visions that now comprise our last book of the bible and in the midst of this apocalyptic extravaganza comes this experience with an angel and a piece of scripture so let's begin reading at verse one then i saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke, And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Now go to verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go and take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And so I took the little scroll from the angel, uh, the angel's hand, and I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. (laughs) All right, let's try to capture what, what's going on here, and what the meaning of it is. The Greek word for scroll, that we translate scroll, the Greek word here is biblos, and it means scripture. So let's be clear, whatever John is experiencing through this vision is about scripture. There's this giant angel, so giant that he can have one foot in the sea and one foot on the land. And he shouts with this booming, oh, to have that preaching voice, that booming voice. My dad had one of those voices. And as he shouts, the thunders, the seven thunders begin preaching with him. And John's first response to hearing this message that no ear has heard since is to do what a lot of you do because you're good students of scriptures to take notes. Pulls out his journal. He starts writing. And the angel says, no, don't don't write. Now, is there anything wrong with taking notes? Of course not. The reason why we have all this is because John wrote it all down so we could have it. It's important to take notes. But I think what they're getting at here is that that's not enough. It's not all there is. Because we're coming at it externally often. Observing it instead of internalizing it. So John is instructed to literally eat the scripture. And it's interesting to see the response that he has to the eating of it. Because at first it says it is sweet to his taste just as the angel said it would be. And I think for many of us, we would say that our first encounters with Scripture after we found Christ were sweet and wonderful, many of us. We describe it like that. We, we come to encounter Jesus and His love for us and grace and forgiveness and the cross. And we learn to see God as our Father. <laughs> and we look to the hope that we have for the future. We might call this the devotional level of our engagement with Scripture. And I don't mean to dismiss it because of that. Because some of the most profound teachings in the Bible are their sweetest. But they're the ones that we first come to that land easy with us. But then as he swallows and it works its way down into his body, John has a completely different experience with Scripture. It becomes bitter to his stomach. I want to be clear here. Eating the Bible gave John indigestion. The more we get into the Bible and the more the Bible gets into us, we come to things in the Bible that just don't settle well with us. And unless we're willing to understand where the Bible comes from and, and why it ought to have an authority in our life, many of us will just drop it all together right there because we don't want to deal with the hard stuff, the inconvenient stuff, the stuff that um, would put us outside of the mainstream, you know i'm just going to say i think there are people in this room who probably don't read the bible and you say it's because you don't understand it but i actually think it's because you understand it far too well and you don't want to wrestle with the implications of it in your life and in your worldview. the bible has hard things that it says but that's where the transformation happens when we allow those hard things to have their way in our life it's the transformational level you see the bible we often say this in fact i am pretty sure we say it in starting point our newcomers lunch when we're going through our core values that the bible has all the answers the right answers for faith and life i believe that's true but it's also true that the bible has all the right questions and sometimes we don't want those questions to be asked of us we don't want to deal with it. And sometimes the questions we want to solve, and the Bible doesn't solve them for us. You know, I, you're going to see in this series, we're going to show you how to study the Bible. Scripture says that we need to learn to rightly divide it. And I'm uh, at the heart of my love for Scripture is wanting to study it intensely and to, to figure it out, and to understand doctrine and theology. But I want to tell you what I've learned in this discipline of studying and organizing Scripture so that we can really understand it. I've come to understand that that's never going to be done. We will never have it completely figured out and have all the theology organized in a way that all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dotted. Because when you think you've got the Bible, we've got all those questions answered. The Bible dies at that point. The Bible is living and breathing. And some of the questions in Scripture are just meant to sit there so that we have to trust God, so we have to question our view of things, so that we have to wrestle with them our whole life and let the transformation come in the struggle. Yeah. So, yeah. There's the transformation. Bitter to your stomach. I like the way Peterson says it in his book. So eat this book, but keep a jar of Rolades on the table next to you. If we're really going to make it what it's meant to be, deeply transformational. Not just intellectual, but intestinal, symbolically. Right? Not just informational, but transformational. That's the relationship I want to see us as people of the journey to have with Scripture. I don't want your journey with Scripture just to be what you hear from this pulpit week in and week out. Because as gifted as the men and women that are that stand here and bring you the word, we're a cheap substitute to your journey with Scripture. And what we want to do in this time together to bring that part of your journey to life and for some of you it's celebrating what you already are experiencing but i have a feeling for most of us it's going to be fresh and it's going to be new so we're going to talk about everything i think you've ever wanted to know about the bible what do we mean by the fact that god wrote it what does that mean the inspiration of the bible Clearly, men wrote it. What do we mean by the fact that God wrote it and that it's inspired? And um, How do I take lessons that were written 2,000, 4,000 years ago and, and, and make them work for today? How do I really get at the meaning and then be able to feast on it and have it transform my life? I'm really excited about what we're going to share, and I hope you are too. I hope you will be with us on this journey. Let's go back to that image of the life that is truly life from Psalm 1. No, the the very first description. Oh, I don't have a slide for it, do I? (laughs) I just read it. Let me read it for you one more time. Keep that up. It ought to be true of every Christian that we are a person that is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever we do prospers. And since that ought to be true of a child of God, it ought to then be able to be said about all of you that you thrill to God's word. You chew on scripture day and night. Haggah. Say it with me. Haga, Lord, may that be our relationship with this incredible gift, this incredible book, Your Word. Thank You, Father. I'm thinking of people here who struggle with hearing from You and may say, God never speaks to me. At the same time, what we've seen today is that You're always speaking. All we have to do is open it up and hear it and ingest it and let it bring change to our life father i pray that when this journey is done as we leave the fall into the holiday season it will be more true of us than ever before that we are a people of the book in jesus name amen